0: I love this band. All right? I love this band. You guys are amazing. And for me to be able to share the platform with you is an unspeakable privilege. We're getting my music stand in order. How are you all feeling? Are you great? Good. I'll take great. I love great. Good, 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 good. I feel like... I. I, I shouldn't even say this, but I'll say this. Okay, I feel like, I mean, we've only been together two days. Do you realize that? Two days. And I feel like every time we have been together, it's been rather heavy, you know. We've talked about some pretty serious things. So what I want to say to you is we're going to be a lot lighter this morning, and I just want this to be a chance for you to catch your breath. If you're tired, I want you to be able to sit back Relax, close your eyes. I will try not to talk too loud. I will allow the soothing strains of my voice to wash over you like a refreshing waterfall in the desert and lull you to sleep. And I won't be offended at all. All right? There was even one time when right in the middle of a talk, I fell asleep. Mid-sentence. So feel free, okay? But you know, life is pretty serious and we don't have a lot of time together. So things do get serious, but I don't want it to be heavy serious. I just want you to sit back and enjoy it, all right? I want to take you on a ride and I want you to come along and enjoy every minute of it. And actually, this morning, you're going to get a two-for-one You're not just going to meet one good friend of mine. You're going to get to meet three, although one of whom is dead. So you're going to meet two of the three are alive. So I'll introduce you to the two who are alive. And we will pay our respects to the one who was, but no longer is, dearly departed. You have no idea what I'm talking about. So let me show you Matthew chapter 28. You remember our friend Matthew? What was his name originally? Levi, yes. You know, what, I, what you did last night is what I live for. This is what energizes me. You don't even realize it, but you realize, but you did it. You did it. What I live for. When I said to you last night, you may not relate to his first name, Levi, his original name, his birth name. Maybe you've never heard of him before, Levi, but you have certainly heard of his new name, Matthew. And I saw in your eyes bulbs going off. It was like a burst of insight. It was like dots connecting. It was like thoughts coalescing. And I live for that moment. And you gave it to me. Thank you very, very much. So this is Matthew. And I want to read to you how he ended his great gospel, the gospel according to Matthew. So I'm going to read to you Matthew 28, at the very end of his wonderful book, I'm going to read to you verse 20. It is the last verse of the last chapter of this wonderful book. Isn't it amazing? By the way, as you're looking for it, when God supernaturally and sovereignly chose someone, to write the first book of the New Testament. He chose a former tax collector. You are not beyond redemption. No one is too far gone. Isn't that amazing? All right, so I'm going to read to you the last verse of the last chapter of the first book of the New Testament and only the last half of the last verse so in honor of God's word if you would stand with me please if you have a red letter edition Bible it's printed in red because these are Jesus words don't let that sentence pass you by hear it again these are Jesus words let me say that another way Jesus said this all Matthew did because he was there on site is write it down Matthew didn't say this. Jesus said this to his disciples and to you. And surely, I'm reading from the NIV, the not-so-new international version, and surely I am with you always to the very ends of the age. That's how I know he was talking to you too because we haven't come to the end of the age yet. I am with you always. He said that high atop the Mount of Olives just to the east of Jerusalem, real places. Keep that in mind, Mount of Olives. And as soon as he said that, he was taken into heaven to rejoin his father where he sits right now, praying for you. I am with you always. That doesn't give you goosebumps. You are utterly incapable of growing any. Let's pray together and we'll talk about this. Thank you, Father, for bringing us together this morning. Such a great group of students. I wish there was a way they could feel the love in my heart for them. But more than that, infinitely more than that, I wish they could feel the love in your heart for them. I ask your blessing upon our conversation together now and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. And you may be seated. What I want to do this morning is this. I, let's start with a question. What is my role at this camp? If somebody asked you, that Dewey guy up there, he is the camp Speaker no, I'm not really. That's what they call me. But we need to change the terminology because that is not accurate. Are you listening Byron. I am trying so hard to change our Christianese lexicon from words that we typically use to words that are more descriptive of what we do. For example, how many of you have ever gone on a retreat? All right. I get invited to speak at retreats often. I was invited two weeks ago to speak to a men's retreat. Here's what I said to the gentleman who invited me. I don't speak at retreats. I speak at advances. Why are we always retreating? That means moving backwards. Why don't we move forward? And instead of having a retreat, have an advance. You know, I'd st- I'm spitting into a stiff wind. I have absolutely failed to change that terminology. We're going to have retreats until Jesus comes back even though in my mind they are advances. Am I boring you? <laughs> Sorry, this is my ADHD. Thank you. You I am not a camp speaker. I am not speaking right now. I am not talking. Do you know what I am? I am the camp painter. I am painting you a picture. But instead of using a palette of colors and hues and shades, I'm using words to paint on the blank canvas of your mind a picture. And I want to paint for you a picture this morning. And it is a picture of what I just read to you and what Jesus just said to you. I am with you always and will be till the end of the age. What does that look like? So I'm going to try to paint for you a picture. Okay? So when we're done, I don't care if you can regurgitate my words. What I want is for you, when you walk out of here, in your mind, to see a glorious, three-dimensional, high-definition, full-color picture. Okay? Okay. When I am back in my lovely little hometown of Dallas, Oregon, I do not, I am not employed at a church, which may surprise some of you. You might assume I'm, because I'm a speaker, I'm a pastor employed and paid by a church. Not the case. I have been in the past. I've been a youth pastor. I've been an associate pastor, a college pastor, and a senior pastor. But I am not currently employed by a church. I am employed by the local funeral home. I work at the funeral home, which for me has been a glorious experience. I would not trade the one funeral home for the other, the local church, as much as I enjoyed my years of employment as a pastor at a local church. For the counselors who are here, who are not employed by a Christian organization, but you have what is typically called a secular job, I just want to say to your encouragement, I honestly feel as though I do more authentic ministry today in the community through the funeral home than I ever did in the local church. Because there are scores of people in Dallas, Oregon who will never darken the door of a church. But sooner or later, everybody in Dallas, Oregon will come to the funeral home. And I don't mean the dead. I mean the living. And so I spend... My life, when you go home at the end of this week, if next week as I am a faded memory, a distant echo in your mind, that Dewey painter guy, if you wonder, I wonder what he's doing right now, here's what I'm doing. If it's nighttime, I'm sleeping. But if it's in the daytime, I am meeting with people on the absolute worst day of their lives. And that is a privilege I cannot put in words. Four and a half weeks ago, I met with a family whose 14-year-old son sent his mom a text message while she was at work. And the text message said, I am so tired. I just can't do this anymore. She freaked out, ran to her car, drove home, and found his lifeless body on the floor. When I met with the family to plan the service, And they graciously asked me to officiate the service in remembrance of their son, 14 years old. The mother who was devastated beyond words asked me this question. Where is God in all of this? See, when I give a light talk, this is what it's like. You ought to hear me do a heavy one. Where is God in all of this? The day of the service, I stood at the door as people came in. Now, let me paint the picture. Our chapel at the funeral home holds comfortably 180 people. 380 people showed up. Almost the entire freshman class of the local high school. They met at the high school and they walked in procession. They gave the freshman class the day off and they walked in procession the couple of blocks from the high school to the funeral home and they all came in at once. Every one of them your age. And as they came in one by one, I asked a few of them, have you ever been to a funeral before? Is this at all disturbing to you? Some said, oh, yeah, we have. Others said, no, never have. Don't know what to expect. Scared to death. Some of them, as they came in, I said, do you have any questions for me before we begin? Here's what I heard. Where is God in all of this? We collected your three by five cards. I've read every single one of them. I would conservatively estimate that one out of five of you in one way or another asked this question of God. Regarding your life, where are you in all of this? Now, if you were me and you're standing at the door And so understand, 380 people, I mean, it was electric in the chapel. I wish I could have put it in a bottle, put a cork on it, brought the bottle up here, uncork it, and let you see it all. Every seat was taken, and it was standing room only. And when I got up to start the service, I said, because there were adults there as well, I said, "Do you high school students who are here, you are our honored guests. And I want to invite you, if you would like, Leave your seat or if you're standing in the back, you come on up here to the front and stand here with me because I want to be with you. And they all got up so the adults could take their seats and the students were all around me, surrounding me, very, very close, touchable distance. It was very intimate. It was like family. It was amazing, absolutely amazing. And I had to pinch myself and ask myself, how did it ever work out in the sovereignty of God that he would allow me to be in this place at this time with these precious people, every one of whom is crying, and many of whom are asking, where is God in all of this? How would you answer that question if you were me? So this is what I told them. In the service when it came time for my little presentation. One day, Jesus received a messenger who came to him. Jesus was in Perea. The messenger came from Bethany. Let me draw you a map. I didn't do this in the service, but for you, let me draw you a map. Sea of Galilee. I'm in the north, okay? I'm standing in the north. I'm on Mount Hermon. For the counselors who are here, that's where the Mount of Transfiguration happened, Mount Hermon. I'm in the north, true north, so you can calibrate your compass to me. I'm in the north. Here's the Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea, Okay? Jerusalem is up here, Bethany is right next to it, and Perea is down there. To get from Perea to Bethany, a two days walk. So the messenger took two days to reach Jesus when Jesus got the word and came up to Bethany two more days. So we're talking a four day span of time, okay? By the way, welcome to the Middle East. Sea of Galilee, Jordan River, Dead Sea. Do you realize that Europe is right over here? Asia is right over there, and Africa is right over there. This is the one place on the planet where the three major continents of the world, Europe, Asia, and Africa, meet together, warmly embrace, and tenderly kiss right here. What does that have to do with this story? Absolutely nothing but it will have a lot to do with tonight. But here's what I want you to feel. Are you ready? I don't have a lot of time, so let's just cut to it. Jesus was not a white man. The blood that surged through Jesus' arteries, the blood that flowed through Jesus' veins, the blood that that percolated into Jesus' capillaries, and the blood that Jesus shed was a unique combination of European, Asian, and African blood. He died for everyone. God so loved the world. So if you have pictured... Jesus is a white man. You missed the point. But that has nothing to do with what we're talking about now. The message that reached Perea is this. Jesus, your dear friend. This is all in John chapter 11, by the way. Your dear friend, Lazarus, is dying. So Jesus dropped everything he was doing down there, and he walked two days up to the little town where Lazarus lived, and now where Lazarus was not living, he was dying, the little town of Bethany. Jerusalem is here, just to the east, the Mount of Olives. And on the far side of the Mount of Olives, two miles from Jerusalem, on the eastern side of the Mount of Olives, is perched the little town of Bethany. The name Bethany means house of figs. The reason it is called the house of figs, bait is house in Hebrew, Bethany, the house of figs, is because there are fig trees that surround the little town, and the fruit of the fig tree is sweet and succulent and so refreshing. But not only that, I've been to Bethany, remember, real places, real places. Life in Bethany is so sweet. If I could afford to retire, and God said to me, you can live anywhere in the world you want. I might be tempted to say, I would love to retire today in Bethany. Because what Bethany is is this. Are you listening? And you tell Bethany on the rec team this, all right? Bethany is the house, listen, where God takes our sorrows and turns them into sweetness. Bethany, the house where God takes our sorrows and turns them into sweetness. So when Jesus made the trip, this is what we read in John chapter 11. And believe it or not, you have part of this story memorized. Or if you don't, you will in just a moment. But this is what we read. Just listen. I'm beginning at verse 33. When Jesus saw her weeping, her is Lazarus' sister. He had two sisters. Lazarus did, Mary and Martha. They are the delightful women I want you to meet who were today not experiencing the sweetness of Bethany. Their brother was dying, and now, as you will hear, by the time Jesus got there two more days, he was dead. The sweetness had become sorrow. So when Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping. Now listen to this. The words are important. He was, you want a picture of Jesus? Can I paint the picture? Okay, I don't have red, blue, green, but I do have words I do have words, and let me give you three of them. Think of the words as colors. Here they are. Jesus was, one, deeply moved in his spirit. I'll explain that in a minute. Two, Jesus was troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And here's number three, and this is the verse that you all have memorized, or if not, you will now. Shortest verse in the Bible that says more than perhaps any other verse in the Bible when it comes to picturing Jesus. Verse 35, Jesus wept. May I define the terms? The first term that I read to you was this. Jesus was deeply troubled. That word means that he was filled with fury. that word means that he was expressing rage he was not furious and was not raging at mary and martha not at all i'll show you in a moment what he was raging about and how why he felt furious to put it into a word i don't know if you've ever pictured jesus this way he was angry angry and the word deeply troubled in the original language really means he uttered a guttural groan he was so angry that the only way he could express it was to groan can you imagine he saw martha and he saw mary and he saw their friends and they're all weeping and all he could do he didn't even have the words he just i i can't even I, i can't even correctly communicate it to you but this rage exploded from him. Do you ever picture Jesus that way? No. Oh, wait a minute. I thought you said he was gentle. Oh, he is. Wait till you hear what he was mad at and why. Sometimes it is perfectly appropriate, and there are times when it is only appropriate to feel angry. So that's deeply disturbed. Then the word is troubled. That speaks of a blender that whips up a drink. His gut, if if you could look into his guts, you would have seen the stomach acids churning. This is something he felt to the depths of his soul. So I want you to imagine all of this rage, all of this fury, all of this anger churning up in him like a volcano about to burst, about to erupt. And then we come to the third word, Jesus wept. It doesn't mean he cried. It means that he shed tears convulsively. He was shaking, and the tears were pouring off his face. Our Jewish friends know how to cry. And you can actually take a tear jar, it's a little narrow jar with a funnel at the top, and hold it under your chin. And our Jewish friends often collect their tears. Crying convulsively. Do you know why? In order to understand why, I need to take you to the first words of the Bible. The first words of the Bible go like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. I won't take time to explain that, but that's another glorious picture for another time. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good and separated the light from the darkness. And God called the light day and the darkness. He called night, and there was evening, and there was morning, the first day. And then if you go down to verse 9, you read this. And God saw that it was what? Good. The word good, may I teach you Hebrew? You're going to be fluent by the end of the week. The word good in Hebrew is the word tov. Tov. How many days of creation were there? Seven, if you count the Sabbath. Seven, right? The word Tov appears in Genesis 1 in relation to the days of creation, of which there were seven. The word Tov appears 14 times. 14 times to describe seven days of creation. The word Tov... I don't want in any way to offend any English speakers who are here, okay? I being one of them. But English is a very bland language. Oftentimes, there is one word in English, but in the original biblical languages, Greek, Hebrew, and Aramaic, the words mean a whole plethora of terms. I was trying to use a fancy word to illustrate the point. I mean, a whole variety of terms. Here's what Tov means. Okay, we say good. It does nothing for me. Does it do anything for you? Here's what Tov means. Tov describes a world in which everything God saw that he had created was perfect. Listen. Peaceful. Listen, painless. Listen, joyful. Listen, bright and beautiful. A world where everyone and everything is living in perfect harmony. A world in which no one or nothing ever experiences any, any pain or hurt. A world in which no one is ever wounded, no one is ever damaged, no one is ever abused. Everything comes together and it's paradise. Absolute paradise. To give you a one-word synonym for that word good, if I was translating Genesis 1 and I was limited to giving one word to translate the word tov, here's what I would have said. And God looked at all that he had made, 14 times, it says this, and God saw that everything was sweetness. Sweetness. And the 14th time that word is used, let me expand your knowledge of Hebrew, I will double it now, it says tov mayode." Mayode means, how do I capture it? Lavishly. Lavishly sweet. That, does that get it? Extravagantly sweet. Why is it when Jesus went to the house of sweetness, Bethany, and he observed his dear friends Mary and Martha weeping, and all of their Jewish friends with them weeping, and he was told, your friend Lazarus has died. Why was Jesus' instinctive reaction to let out a guttural groan that expressed rage Fury, anger, and why were his guts churning as if they took his intestines and put them in a blender? And why did he cry convulsively? Because he realized in that moment the world isn't Tove anymore. They have taken what I have created and broke it. The world is broken. That's why. And so I said to those students at the memorial service for their friend, as they stood surrounding me, so close that I could reach out and touch them. You know why I wanted them that close? Because I wanted them to know two things. You know me well enough now to know. What did I want them to know? I see you. I hear you. More importantly, so does God. And I said to them in that service, Some of you have asked me as you came in. Where is God in all of this? Here's the answer. He is right here weeping with you. That's what Jesus meant when he said, I will be with you always. That is what it looks like. You feel angry? So does he. You feel fury? So does he. You're weeping? So is he, because the world that he made and filled with sweetness is now broken. I have great news for you. One day, sooner rather than later, he is going to recreate this world. When he does recreate this world, this is how it will look. I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, this earth, this broken earth, passed away. And there was no longer any... Sea. That seems weird. Why did John write that? Because when John wrote that, he was a prisoner on the island of Patmos and he couldn't get off the island because he was separated from everybody he loved by the Aegean Sea. The sea is gone. We'll never be separated from each other again. When we're there, Friday morning will never come where you and I have to say goodbye and get into vans cars, a bus or two, and go home. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Listen to this. How do you picture extravagant beauty prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband? And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Who's that? God. Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. In other words, God will be as close to every one of us and as accessible and listen, as touchable as I was with those students that day at that service as we surround him. We can touch him. He can embrace us. But then listen to this. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death. Jesus will never have to go to another funeral, and I will be happily unemployed No more mourning. That's not the sun coming up. That's crying, weeping kind of mourning. No more mourning. No more crying. No more pain. For the old order of things, this broken world has passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said to John write this down for these words are trustworthy and true you know what that all means the world once again will be what sweet Tove. okay here's what I need you to remember and we're done Jesus, it is not his plan today to fix the broken world. That's coming tomorrow. That's not his plan today. I wish it was, but it isn't. I love Dallas, Oregon, but it's a broken place. His plan is not to fix the broken world today. His plan is not to fix your broken life today. His plan today is to live your broken life with you. This is what Jesus said at the end of Matthew 25. I'll just quickly quote it because I have one minute left. Jesus talked about those who were hungry, those who were thirsty, those who were without clothing, those who are in prison, a broken world. And Jesus said to his disciples and the crowds that were hearing him, tell this story he said when you brought a cup of water to someone who was thirsty you brought that water to me when you fed somebody who was hungry it was like you were feeding me when you visited someone in the hospital or someone in the prison it was like you were visiting me what does that mean that means that the homeless guy is laying in the gutter in the street where is god in all of that laying in the gutter with him and with you Do you know that if you have ever been hit by someone, Jesus is so close to you that when they hit you, it went off your face and hit him in the face? If you have ever been sexually assaulted, they sexually assaulted him too. How do I know? Because Jesus said, I will be with you always. That's where Jesus is. And don't ever forget it. Thank you, Jesus, for that promise. Thank you that we are never, ever away from your presence. We may feel like you're a million miles away, but the fact is if we could lift the veil of the curtain and look behind the scenes, you are sitting right here with me right now and always will be until the end of the age. Thank you that not one of these students will go home on Friday, go home alone. You will go home with them. Thank you for that in Jesus' name, amen.